0: The Green Sun Show is brought to you by CEA Technology, a leader in building indoor growing systems that allow you to grow pesticide-free and conserve fertilizer, water, and energy to grow crops sustainably. Visit
1: ceatechn.com to learn more. One or two? Do you see better with one, glasses, or two, LASIK surgery? I trust my eyes to the Northwest Indiana Eye and Laser Center located in Valparaiso, Indiana. The -the state-of-the-art office and surgery center is the best in the region, providing complete eye care, including exams, glasses, and eye surgery. To make an appointment, call 219-464-8223. That's 219-464-8223. Or visit their website, nwindianaiandlaser.com. Trust your eye care to the best. And we thank the Northwest Indiana Ion Laser Center for their support. I'm Robert yeah. Calangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we bring you eco innovations that are changing your world. Farming is a global business, and with the climate changing, it's harder to produce consistent crop yields outdoors. Additionally, consumers are demanding increasingly produced locally grown produce. How do you locally feed a growing global population with less arable land and a changing climate? One answer, grow indoors using new technology. Joop van den Bosch is the chief strategy officer for the Ritter Group, a leading Dutch company that produces innovative technology solutions for controlled environment agriculture or greenhouses and indoor vertical farms. We'll discuss the state of the global CEA market its challenges, and how technology can be a solution. Joining us all the way from the Netherlands is Joep van den Bosch, CSO of the Ritter Group. Joop, welcome to Green Sense. Yeah, I'm pleased to be here.
0: Thank you for, uh, for inviting me, uh, Robert. It's always nice to uh, to be on your show and to share yeah, some of my uh, my experience uh, in the CEA market. And where are you calling from? I'm, I'm calling from the, the, the Westland area. The Westland area is the yeah the 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 home base for uh, for Ritter, and that is uh, yeah uh, uh, I'm really standing in between the greenhouses uh, here in the Westland, and there is uh, about uh, five thousand acres of greenhouses in a small area between two uh, two of the largest cities of the Netherlands between Rotterdam and The Hague. And the, the nice thing about it is that the concentration also makes. All the, the, uh, Both the production side as on the technology side, all the companies and the specialists are here in a close area together. And it really helps in the development.
1: And that's what makes the Dutch one of the uh, leading producers of in-house grown produce. So let's get right into it, Joop. Uh, you're a third generation Dutch greenhouse farmer. Give us a summary on how you worked your way from the uh, greenhouse rose to be the chief strategy officer of the Ritter Group.
0: Yeah, yeah that's a, that's a long story but I'll uh
1: Give I'll make us the it short, short version
0: <laughs> let's make it short uh, basically my 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 great grandfather was a was a farmer in the Netherlands and at that time uh, the Netherlands is still the small country as it was uh, was then yeah land was in in shortage so there was not enough land for all his sons to become a farmer like himself. So he divided up the pieces of land that he had into smaller pieces, but still had to feed multiple families. And that is more or less how, by more intensive use of the available land, how the greenhouse industry started. And it's and it's still it's still developing to become more intensive, to better use uh, uh, the 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 land that is available uh, for farming and the last few years with the additional challenge to do it also more sustainable with less use of resources. And so the demands are still still climbing and it's, it was interesting uh, 30 years ago, but it is still interesting today. I'm the first generation of our family that is not becoming a farmer himself, but I stayed close in the industry and from an early uh, age after college, I started in greenhouse technology and that is now more than 30 years ago that I've been involved in all kinds of uh, technology companies developing solutions for greenhouse farmers.
1: And that's why we had you on the show. You have an excellent global perspective on this industry. So Ritter is a leading manufacturer of innovative growing technology, as I mentioned in the introduction. You make things for greenhouses and indoor vertical farms. Anything you'd like to add to that?
0: No, that's the, the, that's the, uh, the focus. And and in that sense, indoor farming is the right definition because sometimes it's called greenhouses, sometimes it's called uh, vertical farming, but it is a protected farming. So in an in a controlled environment, and Ritter is is not a company that is that is building greenhouses or indoor farms. Yeah, we are a real technology supplier. Say you call it a system integrator, where we supply the control systems inside the greenhouse, and traditionally that is, uh, say, for, for climate, energy, labor management. And the last few years, we are really adding new technologies to it. And the two main ones that are, uh, where we really see possibilities is the application of AI. So how can, with the use of AI, how you, can you improve the results of the crop? And uh, robotization, with the shortage of labor globally, how will that help? And and we see that in outside farming as well, but in inside farming you you have a much more controlled environment already. So we feel that there's a lot of uh, upside, and and that's part of what makes my job also interesting. That yeah, you every time you look, there's new technology on the horizon that uh, that can further improve the, the farming business.
1: Well, we'll get into both of those topics uh, later on in the show, but I just wanted to set the stage that not only do you have the uh, indoor growing in your genes, but uh, you also have the technology uh, through working in this field. So when we last had you on the show, which was several years ago, you were the chief technology officer. You're now the chief strategy officer. Tell us how your role and responsibilities have changed. Of course,
0: everything is in the definition.
1: and. (laughs) with say our chief technology
0: today is more focused on the, the technology development. He's in charge of product management and R&D. So he's basically managing the, the R&D projects that we are managing ourselves. Uh, my role as chief strategy is more fo- focused on, on the global market, the trends, and also on all the partnerships that are needed to build a successful greenhouse project, so less, more outside focused and less inside focused. So okay. that is uh, more of a change. And and interesting enough, uh, per January first, we added some additional uh, tasks on my plate uh, to become. Uh, I'm also now the general manager for Ritter China. As well, we're going to get into that. <laughs> yeah.
1: So that's also
0: uh, something that. Uh, that has my special interest, uh, the trade with China.
1: Well, uh, that's a very important part. Uh, Globalization is unraveling uh, right now, as we see many countries are looking to reshore manufacturing, and that was mostly based in China. So agriculture is a global business as crop production, growing inputs and equipment are produced around the world. The Netherlands is a great example. This tiny country, a little bigger than the state of Maryland, is always in the top five global exporters of produce and manufactures much of the indoor growing equipment you alluded to this a little earlier about how your grandfather you know split up the land but how is this small country with more than 50 percent of the land below sea level able to get such productivity out of such little land and produce so much high quality growing technology
0: the reason why it started in the netherlands was the good outside climate. That's the interesting part. So, so the the why you would expect, yeah, with, a, with indoor farming, you're less dependent on the outside climate. The reason that it started in the Netherlands was because of the, the moderate climate that we have. Not too cold in the winter, not too hot in the summer. Mm. That really helped the start and the availability of the two cities, Rotterdam and The Hague, as a supply market. But the biggest factor was the cost of land with the uh, land becoming more expensive, with less land available to produce uh, uh, food and flowers. Yeah, that became uh, a force to make farming more intensive, to get more produce from a smaller piece of land. And if we look at that today, it, it was necessary for the Netherlands at that time, but that now has become a global challenge because the amount of land available for farming is getting smaller. The population is growing and not only the population is growing, also say the middle class is growing. So there is more demands for the type of food that people want to, uh, to eat. And with a changing climate, yeah, some areas are no longer available or will not longer become available for growing with, uh, areas that become too uh, too gold with uh, with storms and hail with temperatures rising yeah you can imagine if you compare it to a, to a us perspective yeah will it be possible in the future for say part of texas and arizona to grow crops outside when the temperature rises another uh, uh, 5 degrees when uh, water is shorted is in shortage of demand so there can be multiple reasons to go uh, to go indoor. and uh, I mentioned a few. Uh, what we also see as an uh, as an important factor of going indoor is by creating a closed environment, you can control the climate, you can recirculate water. but also a big factor is that you can use biology for crop protection. And that is because you are in a closed environment, you can control it. And I think in the future, also with uh, more direction towards uh, biologically grown, uh, eco, uh, less use of chemicals in production, that can also be a big factor for a controlled environment.
1: Well, as you stated, controlled environment had many benefits, but there's a lot of headwinds in the CA industry these yeah. days. Yeah. Weather, even though you you can control the climate, has some impact. There's labor shortages, there's rising costs to build and operate indoor farms, getting the uh, produce uh, to the end user through distribution, and then, of course, these geopolitical challenges, just to name a few. So I'd like to go down that list and have you share your perspective on each of those areas. And I'd like for you to tell us about what you see as the challenges and both the opportunities that these create. So the first is weather. Uh, What are the challenges and opportunities for CEA due to volatile global weather events? We know that this impacts outdoor farming much. Does weather impact indoor growing?
0: Yeah, interesting enough. And you experienced it yourself Mm -hmm. in your indoor farm, uh, Robert, is that although you have control over all the factors of the climate, the outside still has some (laughs) impact on what happens uh, inside. But in general, the, the indoor farming, is really avoiding the risk of losing crops, because in the in the open fields uh, with flooding, with storm, with hail, you can use your crop and there with your income as a farmer.
1: And, you, and what you were, yeah, what you were alluding to was that uh, we grew even in uh, forty below zero weather, but the trucks couldn't get to our farm in the heavy yeah, snowy yeah, days. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. that could be an issue. I'm sorry, yeah, I needed to cut that, you off. Did you have so, another but, point?
0: But, you can imagine the the indoor farm with all the all the changes. If there is an, uh, a storm, a flood, that with indoor farming you can secure uh, your food. But but logistics is also an important one and because you say weather. Uh, we saw with with the COVID pandemic that transportation can also be an issue. If you're if you would like you to have uh, say your lettuce or strawberries uh, in Boston. Most of them are today produced in California and Arizona. Yeah, what what happens if uh, logistics stops? Mm. It's easier when you grow them around the corner and to have them uh, uh, supply locally. So weather has also an impact on uh, on logistics in uh, in that part.
1: And we're going to get into distribution a little later, Mm. uh, but the next Mm. one, and this is a big issue, Mm. and it's global, which uh, perplexes me. I don't understand why. Farming is very hard work. And there seems to be a global shortage of workers and wages on the rise. You know, you have a better global perspective. First, is that true? And what are the challenges and opportunities that labor is creating?
0: For many growers, uh, labor is, in, uh, is a really a headache uh, to organize. Sometimes they say it with managers. Uh, uh, when they don't like the person, they say, I wish you a lot of employees to deal with. But what we see on a global basis, and it's not even, not only in, say, the the, the countries where there's the high salary cost, we see it basically globally that the simple manual labor is no longer attractive for, uh, for young people to work in. Hmm. So people are interested to work in the greenhouse industry, but then uh, to go after the biology or to look after the technology. But nobody is interested in picking the tomatoes because it is repetitive work. It is... Uh, uh, no skilled uh, labor, so it, the 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 wages are uh, are not good, and we see it in uh, in the U.S. for instance that in a lot of the greenhouses we need workers from Mexico to do that uh, that work. But the interesting part is that we see it globally. In the north of Mexico, they get people from the south of Mexico to work to pick the tomatoes. In France, they get people from uh, Algeria. In Spain, they get people from Morocco. In the Netherlands, they get people from Poland to do it. And in Poland, the greenhouse growers get people from the Ukraine to do the work. So basically, in every country where we are, we see that local people are not willing to to do that low-skilled labor uh, anymore. And and an example uh, closer by uh, your place is, uh, you know, the project uh, App Harvest that really put down uh, high-tech greenhouses, state-of-the-art in technology. They put the project there because also from a government point of view, it was creating jobs in that area and they were able to fill the the, the more skilled labor jobs, but the no skilled labor jobs they were impossible to find. The, the mine workers were not willing to uh, to work uh, uh, in a greenhouse to pick the tomatoes. So labor is an, uh, is a is a big issue for all growers in the world where's where the
1: opportunity
0: and that, yeah the opportunity is of course in uh, in organizing uh, the work uh, changing the growing systems for uh, robotization automation and there's a lot of opportunity uh, uh, there and it took a while in 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 some products it's already uh, quite advanced. For instance, in the in the the potted plants uh, flower uh, flowering industry, is already more advanced. In the vegetable growing, it is just starting, and Ritter is involved in that with uh, with the development of a uh, tomato picking robot.
1: And we're going to get we into are, that in a second. Yeah, yeah. uh, but uh, the next one I wanted to move on to was capital. For a long time, billions of dollars of venture capital were invested in greenhouses and indoor vertical farms. And now with rising interest rates mm. and volatility, uh, a lot of this VC uh, money is on the sidelines. You have increased interest rates. So mm. it's making it difficult to finance construction of new farms using debt financing. So tell me what is the status of capital and how's that impacting the development of new uh, facilities?
0: I would say it's uh, the interest rate is uh, is one factor. And uh, the second factor that we should not forget is uh, uh, lack of uh, lack of return on investment because yeah the, 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 the capital cost is uh, is of course a big factor. but if your return is good enough, then it's not a problem. and and what happened the last few years is both of them were negative. So the projects that were built with say the free money uh, didn't give the, the right return on investment because of uh, a lack of knowledge, wrong decisions uh, made. And of course, yeah, when the capital cost uh, uh, got up, together with the rising cost of the raw material, the rising cost of energy, uh, raw material, yeah, that really uh, meant that that VC was losing his uh, his appetite to invest. But I think the good news, Robert, is that uh, if I look for the last uh, uh, six months, we see that the interest is is getting back again. Because the the interest rate is really uh, already stepping down, going to a lower level, and that that gives confidence of investments. But the investments that are made, they are really scrutinized on the the, the available technology, but also on the uh, forming partnerships with the right parties that also provide the knowledge of the growing. Because that's something that that was underestimated in the past. People thought that when you buy the latest technology, then it's an automatic. And yes. uh, now you, you've you been a grower yourself, Robert, so you know that there still is a lot of, uh, yeah, called green thumb, no knowledge that is needed to, uh, to be efficient and therefore be uh, profitable.
1: And one thing I'd like to add, I think it was just the newness of the industry and such a large influx of capital, it just was not managed properly. But those were all good points. You you just alluded on this next one, it's rising cost. So in addition to the high cost of mm. capital, uh, growers are experiencing mm. high costs of inputs. You know, their their fertilizers, their seeds, their their packaging. Mm. All this is squeezing their uh, meager profit margins. Uh, what do you see as the challenges and opportunities here?
0: Yeah, I, I fully agree. Those costs are, uh, they're all rising. And I don't see it come down, uh, Robert. So those costs, I think they will remain high towards the future. But on a farming perspective, those costs are, uh, I I wouldn't say marginal, but those costs are limited. The biggest cost factors uh, in the operation of a greenhouse is energy and labor. And those, of course, I would say those are uh, over 50% of the operational cost for running running a greenhouse. And... We see that uh, a greenhouse operator can do a lot of things on those two cost factors. And with automation, efficient operation, you can really uh, lower your 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 labor cost. And with energy, there's a lot of options uh, for energy saving. And a nice thing to share to your listeners is that, and I don't know if I if I like it or not, but uh, last year in the Netherlands, tomato growers made more money with selling power to the grid than with selling tomatoes. So what happened in, in the Netherlands, and, and I think that it can also be a, a view into the future, Dutch growers invested in, in LED lights. They invested in heat storage tanks. They invested in co And at the moment, the Dutch growers provide 8% of the power production of the Netherlands and they use the heat that comes with the power production for their crops so making smart combinations with uh, waste heat connecting greenhouses to to power plants that need cooling we have a greenhouse area that is connected to to some large data centers from from Facebook and Google in the in the north where Facebook and Google are cooling their servers and the heat is transported to greenhouses those type of smart solutions can really bring down the cost of energy uh, that is needed. And that is and that is a real, real need. So energy and labor, if you are able to manage that, then the other costs are uh, are less of an
1: issue. Excellent points. Well, with rising costs comes rising prices. And every time I go to the grocery store, I'm amazed at how much fruits and vegetables cost here in the US, yep. and they seem to get higher every week. Why do prices continue to rise? And why does the farmer get so little? i would say it's almost a political issue uh, robert
0: huh, it's interesting. Uh, it, yeah but it is it is global it is global a- and why where, is it political it's about uh, free trade and there's a nice example in uh, in France the french have always been very protective for their, for their farmers so in france there is a law that uh, guarantees a minimum price for food for vegetables so a supermarket is not allowed to use his buying power to push the price below a certain level. And that level is established at a cost level plus a, a minimum margin. And I would say France is the only country I know where they have a system like that. And in that way, they guarantee that the grower is uh, is having a profit. In the rest of the world, it's basically free trade. And there's an unbalance in the power of the supermarket chains compared to the power of the, uh, of the, the food producers. And that is, uh, that's something that we have to live with because the, the, I saw a report uh, once that was of a, of a, of a Dutch supermarket chain that uh, the fruit and vegetable section is the section with the highest profit margins in the supermarket, because it's, it's usually it's, it is not branded. The food is not branded and they are, are more from small suppliers so the supermarket really use it as a as a profit maker uh, there and I, I I don't have the solution for it robert well, but uh, it, maybe maybe you it, have
1: well one solution I think and it it may not be a complete solution but it's to grow local and that's where ceA comes in you could have very small operations that grow local maybe even sell direct because uh, it's it seems like a lot of the profits caught in the middle and yeah, yeah, uh yeah, yeah. but That doesn't work for everything, but let's uh, move on. This is a big issue and we're gonna cover this in depth and that's distribution. And that has many flavors. The first is getting things around the world globally. And we have two huge problems. The uh, Suez Canal is uh, under uh, attacking many of the The Hooties are bombing many of the ships and it's causing delays and backups. And the Panama Canal is going dry. So ships can't go through with full loads. But all this is impacting travel times and the cost of cargo shipping. And as you mentioned, uh, uh, the Netherlands produces a lot of growing equipment. It ships it out of Rotterdam and other equipments produced around the world. This is really a global industry, not just for growing, but for equipment. So let's talk about these challenges for shipping. And uh, what are the opportunities here?
0: We feel the, uh, uh, the shipping costs ourselves in our business. We see it as a... Uh... As a factor that drives up our logistic cost. we made a comparison with uh, for all the material that we buy globally, and for the product we get uh, uh, from Asia, we see that we tie we pay a three three times higher cost per container than a half year ago. And so that's, that's incredible from Asia <laughs> to uh, to Rotterdam. So three times higher uh, cost. So for the suppliers of the material and the new projects it is a big issue for the supply of the of the food at this moment it is not that uh, that big of a, of a factor yet but what it does it's it's more of a of a mental signal to governments to really look at their food supply because if you are depending on your food supply on these type of logistical barriers then you really have to change your policy to, to focus on local food production. And that is the same what we saw uh, during the COVID uh, pandemic when airplanes stopped flying at certain locations that we see, we saw uh, countries like uh, Qatar and the Emirates. Basically, they at that time they realized that 90% of their food was flew in by airplanes. And the airplanes were not coming anymore, so those type of logistical issues, I think for the for the short term, uh, I don't see it as a risk for the food supply, but it is a it, it is a signal to the governments to start producing locally. And for a lot of countries, local production means indoor farming, controlled yes. environment agriculture, because a lot of those countries they supply it from from everywhere because it's it's cheaper to grow there.
1: Well, this next point, thats a, those are good points that you've just made, uh, is geopolitical challenges. We could spend a show on this, yeah. but with you uh, uh, just recently taking over the responsibility of China. And the Dutch have always been good traders, and as a small country, have made good relations around the world. But the China-U.S. relationship is really uh, on thin ice these days. You know, what is your perspective mm. on that? And China produces lots of food. Uh, I don't think a lot of people realize how much is mm. produced in China and, and imported mm. here to the States or exported. Uh, what are your thoughts on geopolitical changes, including the war in Ukraine, the Gaza Strip, and the. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, <laughs> um, I'd say it's a big concern. <laughs> it's a big concern. One of the things,
0: and that's that's that, of course, you already mentioned it from a, a Dutch perspective. In, uh, in the Netherlands, we use that uh, 80% of what we produce is for export. So we we really depend on the export. So for, from a Dutch perspective, we want a, a global uh, economy, free trade, that is into our benefit. But uh, what we see is the opposite. We see that uh, the, the US is closing its borders. China is closing its borders. And as a reaction, also Europe, is closing its borders. We had in Europe, we had, and uh, there was a lot of pressure on uh, electric cars. The majority of the electric cars nowadays comes from China, and are not built in uh, in Europe. And of course, that's a big concern for the European car makers. So now they're putting extra tariffs on electric cars from uh, from China. And for us and for the industry, yeah, it it is it is really uh, really a challenge. Because the, our traditional model of developing the, the solutions in the Netherlands and then apply it globally yeah, comes under, uh, under, uh, under pressure. And the only way to, uh, to deal with it from our side is what we call uh, localization. So that's, that means that yeah, we, we are forced to set up production uh, sites in North America in China, yeah, to be able to uh, uh, to supply to those markets, and yeah, was yeah, whether, your whether that is the most, <laughs> yeah, whether that is the most efficient way of doing it is the is the question. But I don't see that trend turning around, uh, Robert. I think that those three blocks will develop in that way that the uh, the biggest thing that I I hope people realize is that we still very much uh, depend on each other. And that is something that I sometimes question uh, whether America realizes that a lot of the products they use are actually produced in China. So it's not realistic to see uh, see the US as an island that can uh, fulfill all, uh, all the demands.
1: Well, the pendulum swings back and forth. It was way to one side of globalization. Now it's going to isolation and uh, yeah, yeah. creating challenges and opportunities. Yeah, well, yeah. we only have a few minutes left yeah. and I wanted to hit this point. You know, Every challenge is an opportunity to the optimist. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. let's talk about the potential and status of robotic and AI developments in CEA. And we'll close it's, on a high point. <laughs>
0: yeah, it, it's, uh, it's going quick. I must say the development is going uh, faster than I uh, than I expected. And to start up with the uh, with the AI, with building every new project that you build, you need an additional grower. And basically, the the growers are not there anymore. So that means that there are now multiple multiple companies pushing for the AI development, and we are making big steps. and with the application of AI, you sh- you could see it as say an, a growing recipe. That the knowledge of the best tomato grower is caught in a growing recipe, and then from a uh, from a central point, that growing recipe is controlling the greenhouse on the ground. And step by step, we are uh, we are going there, and we see some. Uh, some nice examples with uh, with uh, companies like uh, uh, village farms but also Mastronardi that are already applying uh, applying that and it's and it's not fully autonomous yet but we see for instance that where traditionally you had one experienced grower on say uh, 10 acres now we see growers where that one experienced grower is growing 100 acres so by using AI as a tool, still with the grower in control, you can grow a bigger area and control the, the climate. And so AI as a tool, not to make uh, the greenhouse fully autonomous yet, but yeah, using your uh, your knowledge more efficiently. Well,
1: and that's- That's amazing. And when you talked about a hundred acres, that was indoors. And to, to think that you can leverage uh, a human's knowledge with computers, uh, that that sounds like a great solution, but like everything, it takes time. But AI uh, learns very quickly, so I'm sure we're getting up yeah, that curve. Yeah.
0: So so in so in that sense, in the farming, AI is of course discussed for different industries, but in the in the farming industry, it can really help to uh, to become also more efficient and more sustainable by use by capturing the knowledge of growers worldwide. It's some people think that with uh, with AI, you, you put a lot of data together and then the model will come out. I don't, personally don't believe in that, I but I believe it as a tool where you can capture the knowledge of uh, the most experienced grower and share that to others.
1: Ayub, is there any sage advice that you have to offer for those that are in CEA or looking to enter the market? I would say, the
0: um, of course, the, the biggest advice is uh, ask around, gain knowledge. Gain knowledge before you invest get good partners around you. And there's a, yeah, there's a lot of experience uh, already out there. And I would say in the US, uh, people of the last few years le- learned a lot about uh, what to do and what not to do. So I think that's the, the biggest advice. When one of the things that is also, I think a good advice is do also your, your market research on the value of the crops and services that you have to offer. Because that's, what we see, for instance, is that we see a number of successful projects in the U.S. growing strawberries and lettuce because they have a lot of additional value to the retailer. And yeah, investigate that market potential first before building your production facility. And we have we seen it the positive, or sometimes the other way around.
1: Well, that is very good advice, and you I really want to thank you for being on the Green Sense Show. You're a wealth of knowledge, and I really enjoyed our discussion.
0: Yeah, no, me too, me too, uh, Robert. And thank you for uh, for allowing me uh, so much speaking time.
1: Well, it's it's always my pleasure, and as I said, you really have a great perspective, and uh, uh, you're a rarity in the industry. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much, and uh, greetings from uh, from the Netherlands. That's den Bosch, Chief Strategy Officer for the Ritter Group, sharing his perspective on the challenges and opportunities on the global CEA market. I'm Robert Colangelo. Thank you for listening to Green Sense and check out the Green Sense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on 105.9 WBBM Chicago. The Green Sun Show
0: is brought to you by CEA Technology, a leader in building indoor growing systems that allow you to grow pesticide-free and conserve fertilizer, water, and energy to grow crops sustainably. Visit ceatechn.com to learn more.